those type of stocks will give you certainly a high level of income relative to other equities and even relative to fixed income right now, um, but they don't give you very much growth at all. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The imminent rollout of vaccines and the race to a U.S. stimulus package are certainly driving up investor confidence on both sides of the border. In today's episode, our portfolio managers, Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and host Kevin Prince, check the pulse of the market and provide valuable insights for advisors grappling with choices, be it for income or growth strategies for client portfolios. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello and welcome to our regular weekly update. This is Kevin Prince stepping in for Mark Rays. What we're seeing in the markets to kick off this is, you know, currently we're seeing kind of a mixed market to start off, both the Dow and the S&P pointing slightly up, the Nasdaq slightly down, and of course the global equity markets mostly pointing higher. All of this on the backdrop, of course, of the vaccine news and rollouts, great stuff, and love to see that. And of course the Brexit developments and stimulus discussions. So with that, let's get into our discussion today and share some key market insights. Now, let me kick off with a kind of a news press release that we put out yesterday. We put out a press release in regards towards index changes around fixed income. Alfred, can you talk to us about what this means for investors out there and uh, the uh, thoughts around it, please? Sure. Um, so pretty significant changes on the fixed income front. Uh, yesterday, we did put out a press release indicating that we made uh, index switches on three of our ETFs. So that is uh, effective for a ZCB, which is our all-corporate bond index ETF, ZGB, uh, which is our all-government bond index ETF, and ZSB, which is the all-short bond index ETF. So, you know, when we launched these ETFs back in 2018, uh, iShares had an exclusive on these three particular uh, FTSE indices. Um, so when we launched these three ETFs, we did uh, launch them using the Bloomberg Barcap indices, which is you know, a major global index provider. Uh, I would say they're not any better or any worse than the FTSE indices in, in the Canadian fixed income space. Uh, but when you look at our Canadian fixed income exposures or Canadian uh, fixed income ETFs, uh, they do tend to use the FTSE indices. So moving over to the FTSE index family uh, does allow us to align all of our Canadian fixed income product to be, you know, tracking FTSE indices. And when, you know, based on some of the discussions we had, uh, especially with the institutional investors that we have that tend to be more benchmark sensitive, uh, they tend to be using FTSE indices. So uh, overall, you know, our non-Canadian fixed income exposures will still track uh, the bar cap indices. So when you look at things like ZHY, which is our high yield ETF, ZEF, which is the emerging market ETF, uh, the U.S. Treasuries and, and the investment-grade U.S. Uh, bond ETFs, those will still use the bar cap indices. Uh, but, you know, moving our Canadian, uh, you know, those three uh, fixed income ETFs over to the FTSE indices, you know, as I mentioned, does allow our Canadian fixed income products to track uh, the FTSE 
um, indices. So it's a much cleaner story for the end investors. But I think the real benefit for the investors is the cost savings. So when you look at ZCP, it's available for 15 basis points. So again, that's the all corporate bond index ETF. When you compare that to XCB, which is the iShares product, uh, that is available for 40 basis points. So you get an automatic 25 basis point savings there. Uh, ZGB, which is the all government, that's 15 basis points versus XGB, which is 35 basis points. So that's 20 basis point savings. Um, and ZSB is available for nine basis points. So you know, pretty significant changes on the fixed income front. And I think if you're looking at you know, today's environment in the fixed income world where you know, yields have been really compressed, I think you know, every basis point counts in, in, this, in this world. Well, thanks for that, Alfred. And I think you're right. It's just a nice addition, nice change. And the fact that we were doing this before is just now align it with the uh, the index that people are more familiar with. And I'd like to know that with Inside BMO for the listeners here that you tend to get all the known indexes at BMO, fixed income to your point, and of course the equity ones that people are familiar with too. So glad to have those changes with Inside our framework. Now let me stay with you a bit more, Alfred. Talking about shifting more about the markets and what's going on out there, you know. Love this discussion around vaccine. I love watching the, the news around the vaccine. Now that's good news, but we still see numbers going up. We're seeing lockdowns in Alberta, for example. You know, with the good news and the bad news, what, what, what's really going on? What's driving the markets these days? And what's your thoughts around that? Um, you know, you're right. I think when you look at the uh, COVID-19 numbers, uh, definitely on the rise, not just in Canada but globally as well. Um, but, you know, when you look at the markets, it's definitely shaking off a lot of the bad news and it tends to be only focused on the good news right now. Um, so when I look at things like the put to call ratio on the S&P 500, lowest levels it's been since uh, 2010, uh, which indicates that investors overall are very optimistic at this point. But, you know, when I put on my old technician hat, the put to call ratio tends to be a contrarian indicator. Uh, so one thing that we've been highlighting all along is that. I think investors need to be, you know, cautiously optimistic at this point, at least over the short term. Um, but I think, you know, overall, the vaccine news is, is good news. It definitely indicates that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, keep in mind, the uh, markets are forward looking. So yesterday, uh, UK residents, as we all saw, you know, we got the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine yesterday. Uh, North America could be as early as next week as well. Um, I think some of the concerns are more based around man- manufacturing at this point. Um, so, you know, the concerns that vaccine makers will not be able to, you know, produce enough vaccines for the overall uh, population to get to get vaccinated over the next couple of months. But you know, one thing to keep in mind is that there are a number of other vaccines in the pipeline uh, that are ready to submit for or very close to being submitted to FDA. So Johnson and Johnson internationally, there's uh, a couple of vaccines that are ready or being very close to being ready as well. So that definitely helps uh, to backfill a lot of the shortages um, that are going to be you know, prevalent in the uh, three vaccines that are ready to go at this point. But, you know, as we've been highlighting over the last couple of weeks, I think, you know, coming up with the vaccine is you know, part of the equation. But the other part of the equation is uh, distribution of the vaccine as well. So you know, Pfizer, as we all know, has to be transported in a deep freezer. So I think the thought around, at least in Ontario right now, is you know, people have to go to potentially pre-authorized destinations to get the vaccine. Uh, the AstraZeneca one is, is definitely more transportable. Um, but, you know, in addition to the vaccines, antivirals uh, have been approved as well. So Regeneron, uh, which is the one that President Trump used uh, when he got infected, and he was back on the campaign trail within a week and a half. So uh, def- definitely very promising on, on both the vaccine and the 
antiviral front at this point, which is all very good news for the market, I think. Um, but again, I think, you know, investors need to be, you know, cautiously optimistic. I think, you know, before and let's say call it early spring when the general population is vaccinated, um, I think there's going to be a lot of hardship, right? So when you walk down the street, you know, your favorite restaurant is closed, uh, theaters still remain empty. So I think the core of your portfolio still needs to be, um, you know, quality. Um, so things like ZUQ and ZGQ, uh, which is our quality uh, ETF. So defensive growth still makes a very good core to your portfolio. But I think if you want to take risk, especially on pullbacks, so using things like uh, U.S. Value, uh, which is our ZBU uh, ETF, uh, REITs, which is you know has exposure to Rio Can, uh, smart REITs, so definitely going to be positioned well during an economic reopening, and uh, ZSML, which is a small cap ETF, all very good ways to leverage uh, towards an economic reopening. Uh, but again, I think you know using an ETF to play these exposures is a good way because you mitigate a lot of that you know company specific risk. Um, so you know I think you know until we get a full economic reopening, as I said. I think there's going to be a lot of hardship along the way. But, um, you know, just to quickly wrap up, I think, you know, one thing I've been uh, looking at is on the fixed income side, when you look at the high yield spreads, uh, CDX high yield spreads are now at 290 basis points. So they've tightened significantly in the last you know, couple of weeks. So I think, you know, in terms of the high yield market, I think a full economic reopening is already fully priced in. So I think if you're going to take risk at this point to play that economic reopening theme, um, I think equities from a risk-reward perspective um, is probably, you know, a, a better bet compared to high yield at this point. Um, but I think if you want a high beta, high yield trade, you know, as we've been saying over the last couple of calls, you know, emerging market bonds is probably a better way to play it at this point. But, you know, overall, I think all this vaccine is good news, but investors do need to be uh, cautiously optimistic at this point. Thanks for that, Alfred. Appreciate the insights and uh, appreciate the optimism too, but cautiously. Hey, Chris, let me bring you into this because you know I'm watching the balancing ball in regards towards a stimulus plan in the United States. Deal, no deal. It seems to bounce around a bit. Now, there's some certainly potential impacts, but can you give us an update and then your thoughts around this too, please? Sure, Kevin. And um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you know, deal, no deal. What, what are they doing? Um, you know, something new got, got added into the mix just late yesterday as the White House put out their own um, offer of a, a stimulus package. So as, as congressional leaders are, are currently already working on, um, you know, a, a bipartisan plan, um, you know, again, the White House came out with, with their own plan for, uh, for lawmakers to consider. So, you know, certainly there's, there's nothing right now. And, you know, who, who knows how long it'll be before, um, something does get actually approved and, and put into place. You know, this uh, it's looking like, um, you know, previously a couple of weeks ago, it was looking like nothing would be done this year uh, until the new administration came in uh, early next year. Um, but now it looks like there has been some momentum towards something possibly being done. And now again, with the White House kind of re-entering um, these discussions, you know, maybe there is a little bit more momentum, momentum for, for something to to get done here. Um, and just kind of going back to the last question, you know, we've heard a lot of questions around or a lot of comments around, well, as vaccines get rolled out, um, you know, reopening is going to happen as Alfred was just discussing, you know, is, is another stimulus package even required? And, um, you know, obviously the stock market continuing to go up, um, is, is this even required? And I think, um, 
you know, it actually almost argues um, for, for more stimulus when you see that the vaccine is coming because, you know, certain things like um, the PPP in the U.S., the Paycheck Protection Program, where, uh, which involved loans to small businesses in order to guarantee the payrolls um, of their staff. You know, imagine living in a world where, um, you know, we had no vaccine on the horizon um, and we were expected that this pandemic is, is going to go on indefinitely. Um, one might argue that there's no point in, you know, allowing these small businesses to pay their employees for a few more months because in three months time, they're still going to go uh, bankrupt anyway. You know, now that we actually see this light at the end of the tunnel, um, you know, there's even more urgency to actually bridge that gap. Um, there's actually a benefit. We can see a tangible benefit to saying, okay, let's keep these small businesses afloat. Let's keep them liquid um, and solvent. So that in a few months time, when things do start to reopen, these companies are still there and people are still employed. So there's actually a, a very strong reason to, to have some element of stimulus. The other side of it as well is, you know, certainly what Democrats have been pushing for is aid to state and local governments. And, you know, why, why is that so important? That's something where, you know, down the road, you know, any, any state employee or, or municipal employee, you know, when these governments are facing a, a, a huge uh, burden because they've lost billions of dollars already, um, you're going to start to see a lot of layoffs. You're going to see, see budgets slashed and, you know, things from police to teachers, any sort of government worker, um, you know, there, there will be cuts to that. And what that has the potential to do is prolong the recession or create a, a second sort of double dip recession. You know, coming out of the 08, 09 uh, bottom, um, it's, it's widely understood now that the, the one area that the U.S. didn't um, invest in in terms of stimulus was those state and local governments. And because of layoffs, um, that was prolonged unemployment and a very slow recovery. You know, the recession there lasted quite a while. Um, or at least, you know, low growth uh, for quite a while coming out of that um, 08, 09 bottom. And so for a couple of years there, there was actually very, very low growth coming out of the U.S. And so there's an argument that this could happen again um, if the stimulus isn't directed into the right spot. Um, and so, you know, the immediate impact, obviously, of stimulus or no, you know, there isn't any immediate impact. Um, again, we see markets continuing to be at all-time highs, but what this can do is start to trickle through the economy. You know, we saw, um, you know, the, the early holiday season spending, the Black Friday and Cyber Monday window, you know, a lot of the headlines were around, you know, record online shopping numbers. But in total, uh, spending was, was down relative to last year because, you know, in-person in traffic was down in the, in the range of 40 to 50 percent as people stayed home. Um, everyone moved to online shopping, but that increase in online um, didn't really make up for um, the overall lack of in-person shopping. And so we're starting to see, um, you know, some cracks here of a slowing recovery. You know, the, the latest job numbers as well were very lacking in terms of new, um, uh, new employment numbers in the U.S. And so we're starting to see this slowdown already. Um, and if you don't get stimulus out the door in, in probably fairly short order, um, you could see that slowdown continuing and then potentially move into uh, a, a double dip recession, which, of course, would be bad for the economy and bad for the markets as well. Um, so, you know, stay tuned on that. 
I would I would expect they might get some stopgap sort of solution passed before year end. And certainly as the new administration comes in in the next year, I think they're going to revisit everything and, and try to get some more stimulus out the door anyway. Um, but that obviously will be further down the road. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Tune into episode number 11 in this same podcast series where we take a deeper look at BMO Global High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWG, a triple threat solution that uses options to grow the portfolio and manage downside risk. Chris, I'm going to stay with you for a second. I want to talk about something that I've had a lot of conversations lately is about dividends. And a lot of investors and advisors are simply thinking with all this, you know, stimulus out there, potential, as well as markets at highs, maybe a shift towards thinking about dividends or income. And what's your thoughts in regards towards income or growth? And where's the right balance right now? Yeah, and certainly, you know, this is a, a challenge for many investors. I think most investors need some element of both that growth and income story or income and growth and obviously each um, investors um, you know part uh, wherever they are on the investor life cycle will dictate how much growth or how much income they they need but you know certainly a challenging time for that income uh, part of that equation and you know if you look at the 60 40 portfolio that traditional portfolio the 60 percent invested in equities would give you that growth element and the 40% invested in fixed income would give you that income element. And that has always been sort of that standard portfolio um, for investors to build around. Um, Now what you're getting on on the fixed income side, if you're 40% allocated to fixed income, you're not getting that income. You're getting very, very low levels of income. Certainly there's still um, a part to be played with fixed income being a nice balance to equity market risk. Um, so you need that allocation there still, um, but you're not generating the income that you used to. So, you know, investors have really started to flock towards dividend paying equities um, as that income solution. Now, one thing I would just um, sort of caution investors is that, you know, high dividends by themselves um, aren't necessarily lower risk um, stocks. You know, a lot of times a dividend payer is associated with, you know, a lower risk stock. Um, we like to make the differentiation between income payers and income, or sorry, dividend payers and dividend growers. Um, think about a dividend payer. A dividend paying stock is, you know, something like, you know, a, a utility stock, and um, those those type of stocks will give you certainly a high level of income relative to other equities and even relative to fixed income right now. Um, but they don't give you very much growth at all. They they're they're very good at at, at generating that regular cash flow, but they don't give you very much growth. You know, currently right now in Canada and the U.S., utility-paying stocks are yielding anywhere from three to three and a half percent. And so, if you think about, you know, if I can get three and a half percent, but I'm not getting any growth out of that, um, you know, that that puts you in a tricky spot. So, really, what you need, or what most investors need anyway, is that income grower or that dividend grower. So a company that's paying dividends over time, but is continuing to grow that dividend as well, because that the business that they're in uh, allows them to do so. They're increasing their operating cash flow, and therefore they're able to increase the dividends they pay out to investors over time. 
And traditionally, that has that bucket has been um, the best not only for uh, returns coming out of the the uh, equity market, but also for for risk. You know, lower levels of risk uh, relative to other equities. And so, you know, we like to um, tell investors, you know, don't just sell out just for the highest dividend because you have to look at what's behind that. Are those dividends sustainable? Are those companies growing those dividends over time? And so you're able to get that balance of, of income and growth. You know, certainly we are familiar with a lot of investors, <clears throat> excuse me, that are willing to trade off some of that potential growth um, for a higher level of cash flow today. That's a lot of uh, what, what a lot of covered call investors are looking for. Um, and certainly with the success of our covered call suite, uh, we do see a lot of investors looking for that. Um, but that's something that's defined and that's something that's known in advance. So, you know, those investors, again, depending where you are on that, that investor life cycle, as you're uh, moving towards retirement or in that retirement phase, you need more income and less growth. That covered call makes a little bit more sense. I can get more cash flow today and not worry about getting as much growth. Whereas an investor that's a bit more earlier in their life cycle, they need to grow that pie a little bit more. Um, and while they want some current income and consistent income, you're more concerned with those dividend growers. You want those dividend growers and more of a pure dividend story around companies that just have strong growth profiles, strong cash flow generation, and can grow um, into that dividend over time. So, you know, obviously it is a, a little bit tricky um, and it is different for everyone. But what I would say is that, um, you know, use that utility stock sort of dividend as your bogey of, you know, here's a three and a half percent dividend payer um, that's not giving me very much growth. Um, if I have stocks that are paying 5% dividends or more, um, you know, what am I giving up for that? So it's really just about understanding um, relative to others in the asset class. Um, you know, am I going to get growth out of this or is it a pure income story? Um, obviously, it's a very tricky question to answer as, as you pose it because everyone's a little bit different. But those are some of the things I think you can look at when you're deciding um, what what type of uh, dividend strategy to invest in. Thanks for that, Chris, and good insights around dividends and dividend strategies specifically. Now, maybe I can have you and Alfred, before we get into the questions, just let's just finish off with kind of a, some theme picks here. And let's just stay with that income and growth theme for a second if we can. You know, Chris, give me your, um, your thoughts on one income theme to pick, one ETF, and give me one growth theme pick, too, if you can, please. And then I'm going to switch to Alfred right after that. Sure. So uh, on, on the income side, um, you know, in the equity space, you know, I mentioned our covered call suite. You know, I, I really like the right now I would I would look at the ZWG. That's our global high dividend covered call ETF. That's yielding uh, a little over six, six and a half percent right now. And that's made up of dividends and call option premiums. And so, again, for income oriented investors that really want that income more than anything else, this fund gives you a good profile of, again, those dividend growers, and this is a global basket, so you're getting sort of the best ones in the world. Um, those dividend growers that are paying a decent level of dividends but can still grow um, their, their stock price as well, and we're putting a cover call overlay on top of that to, uh, to increase the cash flow um, and make it very tax effective as well through um, with, with uh, option premiums, taxes, capital gains. So for income-oriented investors, um, the, the global high dividend covered calls, ZWG, is where I would go. Um, for growth-oriented investors, you know, I, I really want to echo what Alfred was saying earlier that, you know, 
our primary allocations would still be in that defensive growth um, sort of bucket. And, and I like our ZGQ, our global quality uh, ETF for that. Um, so, I mean, I think you're sensing a theme here. I, I'd like to go global if I'm just picking one pick here on, on income and growth. I want to get the best companies in the world, no matter where they are. Certainly, ZGQ is largely U.S. Uh, right now. It's about 65% allocated to the U.S. Um, but as the quality uh, companies move, um, this, this fund will, will move its allocations between countries as well. So the ZGQ for growth, um, again, best companies globally, very uh, high-quality companies. I, I, I like that portfolio. And then on the income side, uh, ZWG, um, you know, you put those two together in a 50-50, you're getting around that 3.5% um, distribution yield, and you're still getting that that growth element as well. Perfect. Let me flip gears. Uh, Alfred, give me your thoughts, too, on an income and growth idea. Pick. Yeah, so, as you know, Chris and I were kind of jokingly saying that, you know, there's uh, really no separation between income and growth and, and the fixed income uh, part of the portfolio. But, you know, there's definitely some growth opportunities there. But in, in terms of income, I think a lot of investors have been, um, you know, forced to dial up risk in terms of fixed income, in terms of, you know, taking on more risk just because, you know, fixed income yields, um, you know, have been compressed, especially since after uh, the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, but there's definitely good ways to, to get income. So, you know, U.S. preferred shares, I would say, is, is a good way to, you know, get that quasi-fixed income in your portfolio and also get, you know, a 5 5.7% net yield. Uh, it is a credit sensitive area, so it's not you know a perfect replacement for traditional fixed income. Uh, but I think as optimism grows for you know an economic reopening, uh, credit spreads will tighten. So one big difference between uh, U.S. preferred shares and Canadian preferred shares is that you know U.S. preferred shares tend to be fixed coupons. Um, so even though they don't have a fixed maturity date, uh, as credit spreads tighten, so as you you know as an economic reopening kind of gain steam here, um, you could you could expect, you know, credit spreads will likely tighten in that scenario. So in that scenario, uh, issuers will be calling back their uh, U.S. preferred share issues, which you know, does tend to allow uh, the individual issues to be, you know, pegged around that par value. So it does, you know, offer a lot of stability, even, even as, you know, credit spreads tighten in, as interest rates potentially rise, you know, in the first half of next year. Uh, on the growth side of the equation, I would say ZEF. Uh, this is one thing that we've been highlighting over the last couple of calls. Um, I think it is a good alternative to things like high yield. Uh, so as I mentioned, I think if you look at high yield spreads, they've, com- they've compressed uh, quite a bit over the last month, just you know based on this economic reopening optimism. Uh, but ZEF has a you know 2.4 uh, yield to maturity. Uh, but if you look at the spread compression, uh, it hasn't compressed as much as high yield over the last couple of weeks. So I think. You know, definitely from a risk-reward perspective, uh, in terms of growth, um, probably better position uh, than high yield at this point. Thanks for that, Albert. Appreciate both Chris and your thoughts. Let's uh, open this up to the phones now and get some questions in from the lines. A quick question for either uh, Chris or Alfred. With the Georgia runoff in uh, January, um, I think we know kind of what the implications are um, if the Republicans win, but what's the implication for the market uh, with a Democrat win? Thank you. Yeah, I, I can uh, I can take that one. And so, you know, there's two Senate seats um, in this runoff. Uh, if Democrats win both of them, 
um, then that would put the Senate at 50 Republican senators and, and 50 Democratic senators. Um, and so whenever there's a tie in the Senate in terms of a vote, uh, the vice president would be the one that, that casts the uh, tie-breaking vote, which would obviously lean to, to Democrats. And so, you know, if Democrats win both of those seats, they would have, you know, by the slightest of margins, they would have um, the majority in, in the Senate. And so that just increases the uh, possibility or probability that uh, once the new administration comes in, that they are able to pass their own stimulus package that contains all the sort of bells and whistles um, that, that Democrats have been looking for. And this is, again, those things like um, aid to state and local governments that Republicans um, have tended to, to, to shy away from. And so um, it, I think it just increases the likelihood of uh, a more substantial stimulus package. Um, certainly, I think Democrats are, are lean towards higher uh, dollars of stimulus as well than Republicans do. And so I think it just increases the likelihood of that happening. I think, you know, it's still a very, very slim margin there because all you need is one Democratic senator to, to not agree um, and, then, and then that wouldn't get passed through. So, um, you know, that probability doesn't get bumped up huge, but it, it certainly does get ticked up that you could see a potential for an increased uh, stimulus overall. Hi there. Um, so you guys have touched upon this a little bit, but in the advent of the uh, post-vaccine world, what ETFs uh, would you guys say that I should be looking at? Maybe ones that are positioned to perform well into 2021 and even into 2022? Um, I can take that one. I think, you know, we, we definitely, you know, we highlighted uh, a number of ETFs that are leveraged towards uh, an economic reopening. So, you know, just to reiterate, uh, U.S. value, um, Canadian REITs and, and U.S. small cap are potential ways to play an economic reopening. But again, you know, I'd be cautiously optimistic. I, I definitely wouldn't go all in on those. I think, you know, uh, the core of your portfolio should still be defensive growth. But if you want to allocate around the peripheral uh, to those ETFs, you know, say 5%, maximum 10% position, um, I think it's definitely warranted at, in, at this point, um, especially if we get a pullback. Uh, but one other one that is leveraged towards an economic reopening is uh, ZEO, uh, which is equal weight oil and gas. Um, I think, you know, oil has definitely been beaten down uh, due to the you know, economic lockdown. Obviously, you know, if you are a lot of people working from home, you know, I certainly haven't driven my car as much. But I think, you know, as you get an economic reopening, as traveling comes back online, uh, the demand for oil is, is certainly going to pick up um, at that point. Um, so I think if you're looking for something that is attractively valued, um, ZEO is, is potentially one way to play it. Yeah, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll just chime in as well. One one other thought, uh, continuing on a sector play, is our our global discretionary uh, consumer discretionary ETF. So DISC is the ticker there. Um, obviously, investing in stocks that are in that consumer discretionary bucket. Um, and if you think about reopenings and in, and consumers coming back um, into certain areas that they've been staying away from. Um, you know, largely that is those discretionary type stocks. And so things like, um, you know, Alfred mentioned traveling. So, you know, booking.com, booking holdings, um, you know, Walt Disney. So movie theater um, or um, uh, that's a production house. But, you know, traveling um, uh, ideas uh, con are, are really contained in that consumer discretionary uh, uh, ETF. And so I think 
that, that might be another way to play it a little less uh, risky because it is global and it does have large caps in there as well. Um, but certainly a, a good way to play uh, any, any reopening also. Just a quick question on ZGB, BMO government bond, uh, Alfred, uh, just kind of the outlook uh, heading in here to 2021. Thank you. Um, you know, government bonds have definitely got a lot of uh, demand over the last, um, you know, half a year, um, just because I think a lot of people have been taking risk off the table. So, you know, whereas the last couple of years, a lot of people have been overweight credit. Um, a lot of people have been overweight government bonds because, you know, there's been this risk aversion. Um, and, you know, in terms of a lot of people taking more risk on the equity side of the portfolio, people have been trying to balance that off with going more towards government. Uh, in the fixed income side of their portfolio, um, you know, right now I think uh, government bonds are, you know, even though they've they've kind of run up a lot, I still think it it you know it, it I'd still advocate uh, for static position in your portfolio. So if you want to allocate, let's say, you know, ten to fifteen percent of your portfolio to government bonds, uh, or even more than that, let's say up to thirty percent, I still think is is pretty much warranted at, at this time, um, because as we mentioned, I think you know even though optimism of an economic reopening is, is gaining steam at this point, uh, there's still going to be, you know, ups and downs until we get there. So, you know, government bonds are a good way to hedge out a lot of that volatility and, and smoothen out that, you know, return uh, profile for your portfolio. Thanks very much for the questions. And thank you for taking the time to join us today. Really appreciate that. And for those of you listening to us on our podcasts, we will up to you. Tell up here because we're getting pretty good uh, support in regards to the podcast, and we'd like to keep growing that. So thank you for support on doing that too. Have yourself a good week ahead. Cheers. Thank you to Alfred Lee, Chris McKinney, and Kevin Prince for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today we heard ideas to prepare for an economic reopening from ZWG and ZGQ on the equity side to ZUP and ZEF within the fixed income suite. From these four ETFs alone, advisors can customize the right mix of income and growth based on each client's investment targets. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at bmo.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment tax or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.